Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for December 16th, 2007. And today we're going to be doing uh, anywhere from two to three dedicated teachings on the Islamic Muslim uh, religion, and particularly the hypocrisy of this particular blasphemous religion. I don't think there's a religion on the planet that has more hypocrisy in it than this particular one. Because they say one thing and they do another. And they'll say one thing, yet they don't want to be held accountable for any of their actions. And it's unbelievable because, for the most part, they really have gotten away with it, and the press lets them get away with it. Now, interspersed throughout this particular teaching, which I'm going to have probably about 95% of this online in PDF format. I've already got it in a PDF format. I'm going to veer off a little bit during the middle of it for one little thing, but 95% of this is going to be online, and it has its own little table of contents. You'll be able to see this, and if you uh, click on the PDF, which will be connected with the sermon, you'll be able to see um, a whole bunch of pictures of a demonstration that was took place... Um, I don't know, this year or last year, I believe. And it's a Muslim religion of peace demonstration. That's what it was hailed as, a religion of peace. And they've got all these Muslims, Islamic people, marching through the city of London. And you can see their nice signs of this religion of peace. The, the first one reads, Slay those who insult Islam. The next one reads, Europe, you will pay... Demolition is on its way. And the third one reads, Behead those who insult Islam. The next one reads, Butcher those who mock Islam. Uh, this next one reads, that I can read, Europe, you will pay. Your extermination is on its way. So, I will give them this. They're catchy. They, they, they've got their little rhymes and stuff going. So, they're, they're trying to be, uh, you know, I don't know. And, uh, yeah, they've got their signs. But this is a religion of peace demonstration. I kind of find that ironic. You know, is, is, you see, does anybody see any hypocrisy here yet? And this whole teaching we're going to be doing, this, this same theme runs the whole way through. And I guess it's one of the reasons why this, this particular uh, religion um, tends to cause righteous indignation in me. <laughs> because, um, because of the hypocrisy that they operate. Now, let's go further. Let's look at what the... Uh, Ahmadinejad of the president of Iran said. Let's look at a quote from him. And this is the one that, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about today, but he's the he's the principal character over in the Middle East right now that is um, in regard to World War III and these types of issues. So, the president of Iran said, quote, Soon Islam will become the dominating force in the world occupying first place in the number of followers amongst all other religions. We don't shy away from declaring that Islam is ready to rule the world. End of quote. Now, the only way Islam could ever rule the world, this isn't a country ruling the world. Notice. This isn't a country saying, he's not saying Iran will rule the world, he's saying Islam will rule the world. Okay, so that's, that's, that would have to be some type of holy war. 
And this is what all Islamic people are commanded to do, is to, quote, make jihad, which is to make holy war. With who? The infidels. Who does the Islamic Muslim religion define as an infidel? That would simply be put as an unbeliever in Islam. You either convert them or you kill them, is what the Quran says. We're going to be looking at all the quotes from the Quran today. Kill them or convert them, that's it. When it really boils down to it. This next article is from the Hamas Charter of 1987, Article 13. And it says, quote, Peace initiatives, the so-called peaceful solutions, and the international conferences to resolve the Palestinian problem, are all contrary to the beliefs of the Islamic resistant movement. End of quote. Why is it contrary? Because they're supposed to slay the infidels. That would be Jews, non-believers in Islam. There's no peace for them. They can talk about peace all they want, but their true colors so easily come to the surface. That's why this whole thing about this land giveaway in Israel is such a, a, an abomination joke. Because... You could give them everything. It doesn't matter. They're still going to come after you. If we go further, this is from the Quran, Surah 551. Now, this is one of their books, like there's different books in the Bible. This is Surah 551. It says, quote, Believers, or Muslims, take neither the Jews nor the Christians to be your friends. They are friends with one another. Who ever of you seeks their friendship shall become one of their number. And God does not guide those Jewish and Christian wrongdoers. Their God doesn't. That's true. Allah is not the God of the Bible. And we're going to thoroughly prove that at the end of this presentation. The next quote is from the Hassan Albana, founder of the Muslim Brotherhood. Quote, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam or Israel will exist and continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it. Just as it obliterated others before it. That is their goal. They are going to, not so much to obliterate the land, but to obliterate the inhabitants, the Jews. That's what their mandate is. That's what the Quran says they have to do. Just so happens, they're, they're, the place that they have their... Um, Dome on a rock in Israel is the place of the Temple Mount. And this is why there's all this controversy over the Temple Mount. The Jews want it so that they can actually rebuild the, whole, the, the temple and initiate, and initiate temple sacrifices, which we know according to the Bible, according to what happens in Revelation and what Daniel says, that that will have to happen. So that Dome of the Rock's got to go in order for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. If, by chance, that Dome of the Rock was blown off its foundation, that would probably be a really good pretext for World War III. I'm not saying that's the way it's going to absolutely go down, but it may be in conjunction. If war were to break out with Israel in the Middle East, which is inevitable, and they would finally put all their cards on the table and quit playing patty cakes, I believe one of the first things Israel would probably do is blow the Dome of the Rock, off the Temple Mount, and that would really get things fired up. So if we go further, this is from Sheikh Ahmad Yassin, Hamas co-founder and spiritual leader. Quote, Sons of Islam everywhere, the jihad is a duty. 
to establish the rule of Allah on earth and to liberate your countries and yourselves from America's domination and its Zionist allies. Now, I'm not saying America's perfect. I'm not saying the Zionist Jews are perfect. Okay? So don't get me wrong there. But these guys have an agenda, and it is an agenda of death. And, it, and it's, it's ingrained into them from very, very, very early age. I've watched documentaries on this, and this one particular documentary I have, it shows these cartoons that they play for their kids on Islamic television. And on all these cartoons, the common theme seems to be killing the Jews and killing non-believers. And they, they show these little kids picking up rocks and throwing them at it. And this is what they're, in, they're ingrained in such hatred from infancy. I mean, I'm talking hatred from, from the crib all the way up. It's no wonder. Now, what is all of this really doing? Well, not only is the sins of the forefather carried to the third and fourth generation, so there's impartation of demons, there's generational curses, but then you have all the overt things going on from when they're infants on up. You know, like the Bible says, train up a child in the way they will go, and when they're old they'll not depart from it. Well, there's, an, there's a different way you could do this. And if you train up a, a child in the way they shouldn't go, well, they're not going to depart from it either when they get older, unless the Lord saves them. And ultimately, I pray... I, it would be my prayer that these people be saved. Um, but the Bible says, Narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. The reality is, is most of the people in the Islamic countries are most likely not going to be saved, according to what the Bible says. Um, I do believe we should pray for their salvation, that the Lord would open their eyes, and then He would do whatever it takes in order to get their eyes opened. If He has to hang them over hell to get their eyes open, then so be it. But it's pretty uh, eye-opening to look at some of these, um, these quotes. Now, I don't think I finished this quote. Let me just read it one more time. Sons of Islam everywhere, the jihad is a duty. Now, here's another point to bring up. The people that say that we're peaceful Muslims and we're a religion of peace and all this other stuff, those would be equivalent to the Christian, to a lukewarm Christian that God would want to spew out of his mouth. Okay, because... That would be equivalent to a Muslim not reading his Quran and not really going by his Quran at all. Okay? The people that are going around with nail bombs on their back and blowing up people and doing these types of things are actually being fundamental to the Islamic Muslim faith because that's what the Quran says to do. Kill them, slay them. And you will dwell with Allah and you'll dwell in paradise and you'll have 99 virgins and all this other stuff. So they're being fundamental to their faith, just like a Bible-believing Christian has the option of being fundamental to their faith. Islamic people have the option of being fundamental to theirs. Most of them, obviously, are not going on blowing themselves up. And they're the ones that a lot of times will come, oh, it's a religion of peace. Well, they need to read the Quran a little bit closer, because it's anything but a religion of peace. Uh, former Egyptian President Gamal Nasir, a key player in the Six-Day War, who openly advocated the destruction of Israel, said, quote, if the refugees return to Israel, Israel will cease to exist. Now, he basically is saying they're going to wipe them out. And we know the Lord's not going to let that happen in totality. I do believe two-thirds of the Jews, according to what the Bible says, particularly in uh, Zechariah, two-thirds of the Jews are ultimately going to be wiped out. And we went over that in previous teachings. Um, but a third of them will be saved.
If we go further, most Americans and even most Christians have no real awareness of the nature of Islam. Its origin, its agenda, its methods. To learn more about the growing threat posed by Islamic extremists, we encourage you to watch the film, quote, Obsession, Radical Islam's War Against the West. Now there's a link you can click on here in this uh, PDF where you can go watch this. This new documentary has been described as required viewing as one of the most important films in our time. It contains the insider's view of the true nature and the agenda of radical Islam. Now, I don't go so far as what um, apostate John Hagee, who's denied Jesus Christ as the Messiah, says, with this whole dominionist uh, agenda, or really um, messianic Jewish Hebrew roots movement agenda. I don't go so far as to what he says, where we have to preemptively... Uh, nuke Israel, as he's been telling President Bush he has to do, uh, Iran, I'm sorry, preemptively nuke Iran in order for our citizens and in order for Israel to be protected. Where's God in that scenario? Okay? So, again, what I want to have today is some balance here. And, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne, and he didn't go around telling us to kill our enemies. He actually said, bless you know, those that curse you, and them that despitefully use you. Okay, I don't think we should bless them, or pray God bless them in their wickedness either. Because that's unbiblical as well. The main blessing you could ever pray for somebody is for them to get saved. Okay, that, there, there's no comparison to, to that. And normally people will only get saved, especially if they're caught up in false religion and bound up in sin and... and all these other things, which is a good example of Islam, normally those people are only going to get saved through some type of traumatic event where God humbles them and they're presented the gospel. That's typically the way it happens. And these people need to be humbled. So if we go further, this is an uh, uh, article, and it was entitled, President Bush shows deep respect for the organization of the Islamic Conference, which is the OIC. On Wednesday in the U.S. Capitol, President George W. Bush paid a visit to the Islamic Center of Washington and made an important announcement. For the first time, the United States will appoint a special envoy to the organization of the Islamic Conference. The announcement is exciting news and clear affirmation of the U.S. government's deep respect for the OIC member states. Now, from what I just read, do you, does it seem as though we should have deep respect for the Islamic religion? What is their agenda? Death and annihilation. To enthrone their moon god, and we're going to get to that later, Allah, as the supreme god over the whole world. That's what their agenda is. Why would we want to show them deep respect? Have they shown anyone else deep respect? I mean, just these pictures that, that you, you can see on these things, the quotes that we've read. They don't show deep respect for anybody, but their own religion and their own false god. The United States views the OIC as a leading voice for the diverse Muslim states around the world. And the OIC's current chairman, Prime Minister Abdullah Badwadi, as a champion of reason and tolerance. Oh, right. Like, they tolerate anything. Hypocrisy is the common theme and thread through everything we're going to be looking at today. 
And then it goes on to say, Eisenhower welcomed the Islamic Center into the community of American places of worship with the promise that under the American Constitution and under the American tradition and in American hearts, Muslims in the U.S. would be free to worship. If they're free to practice their religion the way that they're told to practice their religion, then they're free to kill us, too. Oh, well, they can, they can worship, but they really shouldn't kill people, though. It's like anything else. If you give the devil an inch, he's going to take a mile. In places where Islam is the dominant force, if you even try to convert from Islam to Christianity or any other religion, you're subject to being killed instantly by your own family. If this religion is let to go to its logical conclusion in the United States, that same thing will happen here. If we go further, it says, Those words are just as true today as millions of American Muslims worship in over 1,200 mosques in all 50 states. A mosque is like their place of worship. Freedom of religion is the first protection offered in the American Bill of Rights. Uh, President Bush said on Wednesday, quote, This is the promise of our Constitution, and a calling of our conscience, and a source of our strength. Huh. Well, I thought he was a born-again brother. Doesn't he know this information? He goes on to say further, President Bush, Today we gather with friendship and respect to reaffirm that pledge and to renew our determination to stand together in the pursuit of freedom and peace. What a joke. What a lie from the pit of hell. We're worse. As a Christian, you would be worse, I think, in God's eyes for condoning this stuff. And then President Bush ends by saying, We come to express our appreciation for a faith that has enriched civilizations for centuries. Uh, actually, I think he meant butchered civilizations for centuries. We come in celebration of America's diversity of faith. And our unity is free people. And we hold our hearts the ancient wisdom of the great Muslim poet Rumi. Where he said, the lamps are different, but the light is the same. What a lie from the pit of hell. You know what the theme was there? Oh, we all worship the same God. Now, you notice I said the Muslims have butchered people for since antiquity. All the way back to Muhammad and before that. And we're going to look at this further. But, did you ever see how the Masons wear those red fezes? Not the Masons, but the Shriners. How they wear the red fezes. And do you ever notice how the Shriners have that Muslim theme, you know, the whole... Crescent moon and the, and the saber and, and that whole Muslim theme. And they actually use a Quran in the initiation of a Shriner. I don't know if you knew that. They use a Quran. And they have, wear those red fezes that they actually keep under glass in their house like an idol. And Chick has a really good book on, or a really good track on this. Uh, Chick Tracks, if you go up on the... Uh, Internet at www.chick.com. You can find that track. I forget what it's the, the title of it, but it's it's a it's on the Masons. And you can actually go up and read these tracks online. And if you want to, you can actually take the tracks and forward them to a given person. You could forward the link or the whole track. It'd probably be easier to forward the, just the link to a person, and it would be a great way to witness. But um, in this particular track, it describes how that in Morocco, in the city of Fez the Islamic Muslims came and butchered the Christians in that area. 
And what they did is they were wearing these fez caps, which is what you see the Shriners wear. And when they had butchered all these Christians in the, in the city of Fez in Morocco, they, they took and they dipped these hats in the blood of the Christian martyrs. And that's why they wear a blood, like a scarlet fez hat. That's where it all came from. Pretty sick. That's why the Bible talks about, you know, my children being destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Thou shalt be a priest to me no more. And these types of things. And I will also reject thy children. So, we got to be really careful about what, you know, what we're rejecting. And, and these are little things that um, some people may think are just totally innocent and they have no significance at all. But there's usually always some type of significance behind just about anything that um, goes on in today's day and age. Now, if we go further with this teaching, the next part is Rick Warren, is entitled, um, Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, Brian McLaren, and other contemplative emerging leaders invite the Muslims to love God and their neighbors together. Now again, I have all the, the links to these stories up on the, the uh, PDF file. Uh... Let's see here. This is a note prior to the article, and it says, The Christian Post article below is regarding a response by a significant number of evangelical leaders who have said that Christians and Muslims need to come together because they worship a common God, which is a lie for the pit of hell. I mean, these supposed preachers and pastors have absolutely no discernment they are not studying to show their self-approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, according to um, 2 Timothy 2.15. They're not doing that at all. It's just like they're going along with whatever the flow is, whatever their mentor or whoever they idolize tells them to do. The response is to a document by Muslim leaders titled, A Common Word Between You and Us. Some of those who signed... The Christian response are Rick Warren, Brian McLaren, Bill Hybels, Leah Anderson, and many others. One thing most of the signers have common in common is that is that they have a propensity towards contemplative or the emerging spiritualities. See, the reason I am always harping on the 501c3 thing and the King James issue and these types of issues, and one of the reasons is because these are things that have come into the church that have caused the church to be leavened. Ultimately, this same corporate church is going to be, become part of the whore of Revelation. All the churches are going to come underneath one banner. Now, if you're already a corporate church that gets your right to exist from the government, from the Internal Revenue Service, you're not in a real good position to come out of her, my people, lest ye be partakers of her plagues. You're already part of it. There's no biblical, there's no biblical New Testament precedent for, for a church yoking up with the government and going to the government and begging for the right to exist so that they can be a corporation. So people can write off things on their taxes. <laughs> Doesn't hold water, biblically, at all. And these people that are following these men within the, quote, Christian circles, these men are leading them down the road to hell. Rick Warren is a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. 
which is one of the highest, it's like the Bilderbergers and the United Nations, it's right up there with these types of organizations, pushing for a one world religion. When you yoke yourself up with these ministries, or you follow them, do not think it will not affect you spiritually. Your discernment. You're going to come under their spell, and I mean that literally. You need to get out of that. Now, this is from the rest of the articles by Ethan Cole, Christian Post reporter. Christian leaders across denominational lines responded to the unprecedented open letter signed last month by 138 Muslim leaders with their own letter calling on the two Abrahamic faiths to love God and their neighbors together. What a lie from the pit of hell. So see, this goes back to Abraham. Okay? Remember he ran ahead of God, went into his handmaiden, had Ishmael, who was not the child, the child or, the, or the son according to the promise. He was not the one God promised because he ran ahead of God. Look at the mess that created now, I'm not judging Abraham, listen. I'm not saying I'm better or anything like that. But it did create a gigantic mess. And that's why one little thing, like running ahead of God, you never know what the repercussions may be down the road. Look at what the repercussions of doing that one thing, running ahead of God. And I'm preaching as much, or teaching as much to myself, as I am to anyone else. I'm just pointing this out. Look at what happened. The whole... You know, the race of Islam, and I know Esau fits into that too. Okay, so we can't make a blanket statement on this. But it, it caused a lot of problems, you got to admit. Okay, down the road. Look at the fruit of that decision today. Look at the Middle East crisis and all the things that go on there. And knowing that these people are bound for hell, all the people that are going to ultimately end up being burning in hell as a result of this, But they're, they're calling them a two Abrahamic face to love God and neighbors together. And again, you know, if there was somebody out there that hadn't done their homework and, they, and they, they didn't understand, they hadn't studied this thing on Islam, I mean, why if, if, these, if these were the same gods we were worshipping, why is their God telling them to do something totally contradictory to what our God says in the Bible? Come let us reason together, saith the Lord, as the Bible would say. Doesn't make sense. This, they've got to be two different entities. One being evil, one being holy and righteous. That's it. So, um, if we go further, over a hundred theologians, ministry leaders, and prominent pastors have thus far signed the response letter issued by the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Oh, isn't that special? Signers included Jim Wallace, President of Sojourners, Rick Warren, Founder and Senior Pastor of Saddleback Church, John Stott, Rector Emeritus. Ooh, I, I, I would really like that title. I don't know, I just like how it sounds. Rector Emeritus. What do you think, Doug? Can I have it? <laughs> Did you want to say something? Uh, I mean, we're going to read this laundry list of church organizations and... Um, ministers and these types of things who are yoking themselves up, who have signed on to this agreement where we have to come together with the Muslims in, in our common Abrahamic faith, which is a lie from the pit of hell. And uh, Doug had just brought up, you know, a lot of these 
some, not I shouldn't say a lot, but some of these people and ministries and colleges that we're going to be mentioning at one time actually tried to take a hard stance against the liberalism coming into the churches and these types of things at one time. It might have been a ton of years ago. It may have been decades and decades and decades ago. But again, a little leaven leaven at the whole lump. And we're seeing now the fruit where the, the whole lump is almost leavened and these churches are all coming together under one banner. And you know it's, it's, you know what it's also like too? It's kind of like peer pressure. That term peer pressure where you know if one person's doing it then and then two people and then the more people that are doing it the more pressure you have. But that's why the Bible says choose whom this day you will serve. In Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They've chose to serve you know, the God of this world, essentially, you know, which is what we're seeing. Christian leaders urged for an interfaith dialogue that moves beyond polite, ecumenical talks between selected leaders. Instead, leaders of both faiths, now this is between Islam, Islamic and Christian, they should hold dialogues to build relations that will, quote, reshape the two communities to genuinely reflect our common love for God. And for one another. The Christian letter states, click here. Okay, so there, I've got a whole thing that you can click on. Now remember, the, the, the first thing that we started off basically saying, you know, the Quran says you have to slay the infidels and, and, and kill them all, kill them all or convert them. And, and you, we have these signs that they use in their peace demonstrations. Slay those who insult Islam. Behead those who insult Islam. Butcher those who, who mock Islam. But, you know, we, we all have our common, according to this article, we all have a common love for God and for one another. Do you see the hypocrisy here? It's unbelievable. I love to point this out, because they make my job so easy. The Muslim people make my job so easy. This is one of the easiest false religions to expose on earth. It really is. Now, the signers of this, I'm just going to go through this, remember, uh, Rick Warren being the first one listed, you know, basically like the Pied Piper of the One World Christian Church. Remember I said CFR member, Council of Foreign Relations. Bill Hybels of the Willow Creek Association, gigantic church up in the Chicago area. Leah Anderson, head of the NAE and the Wooddale Church. And then there's all these universities, Northwest University, Fuller Seminary, Biola University, Northwest University, David Yonggi Cho of Korea, Bethel College, Bethel University, Makamoto Fujimara, artist, family, focus on the family, um, YWAM. Now, YWAM is the organization that this guy this last week that um, killed those people in that Colorado Springs church, uh, he was a member of YWAM. And when I was into really, really radical Pentecostalism, I was really looking at YWAM heavily, because YWAM are these guys that go out and they do this stuff called spiritual mapping, and they pray through the 1040 window, and they know all about these, the occultic aspects of um, things, the ley lines and stuff like that, which is a whole other study. I think there's some truth to what they're emanating and operating through, and I think they view things as, as a spiritual battle, they, they view that more clearly, but they're totally leavened, unfortunately. Radical Pentecostalism, um, you know, huge into the tongues movement, huge into the Christian rock movement, I can't even imagine what it's like now. I remember this from when I was 
You know, and all these religions are getting... And this just goes to show you, you know, they're yoking up with this too. We need to all come together in unity, brother. Where did, what Bible are these people reading? This is another reason I emphasize the King James Bible so much. Because if you're actually reading the King James Bible, you cannot come to this conclusion. You can't do this. But if you have a really watered-down Bible, like the NIV with 64,098 less words, that's the exact figure, and you have all, things, all kind of things taken away out of the Bible, and all kind of things modified, you may not really even get a conviction that there's any difference between the two faiths, or yoking up with them is even wrong. And the Bibles are just getting worse. So if we go further, then you have the Eastern Mennonite Mission, now the Mennonites, you know, I, I thought the Mennonites were solid. I, I, terrible. Just kidding. Anyway, Wheaton College, Emergent Village, the Assemblies of God. That's a pretty big statement, the Assemblies of God. That's like the main Pentecostal one there is. I mean, that's huge. First Presbyterian. Presbyterians are. These are gigantic denominations. The ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Well, there's the Lutherans. World Vision, Taylor University, uh, Brian McLaren, Christianity Today, the, the largest publication in apostate Christianity. Christianity Today, they're endorsing it too. I don't think I've ever quite seen, you know, so many people in the pseudo-Christian faith come together and agree on one thing. And then uh, the Christian Century of Tyndale Seminary, the Vineyard USA, which is also into the radical Pentecostalism, which was one of the main ways we got Christian rock permeating through Christianity. Robert Schuller of the Crystal Cathedral. Not Robert Schuller. Surely not him. Oh man, that, that one just crushed me. Regent College, the Navigators, and Jim Wallace of the Sojourners. It sounds like Christian rock groups we're talking about here. So, um, yeah, those are the uh, those are the stalwart defenders of the faith. They're earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered under the saints. So much so that they say, ah, you know, we all worship the same God. Why can't we all just come together and be friends? Why can't we just put our little differences aside? <laughs> the, the Islamic people think you are the biggest idiots on the planet. Because if they have their way, ultimately they would end up slitting your throat. Because their religion commands it. Either you would convert to their religion, ultimately. I'm talking the end of this. I'm not talking now, when we're playing patty cakes, and saying, oh, let's come together, let's have dialogue, let's do this. It's all a lie. But the Christians are so delusional, and so undiscerning, that they think, oh, well, yeah, why can't we just all come together? And be, why can't we have peace in the Middle East? We're not going to have peace until the Prince of Peace comes back and establishes the peace on a white horse. And, he's not, and, and this peace is not going to come about through peaceful means. <laughs> Armageddon is not going to be a peaceful thing. A slaughter unlike humanity has ever known. That's going to usher in the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ, where he rules with what? A rod of iron. He came as a lamb the first time, he's not coming as a lamb the second time. So, you know, you better know what side you're on. 
So this next article relates to what we just read. This is by a guy named Paul Proctor. I think he pretty much nails this subject that we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit more now and expand on it. This is uh, from November 28, 2007, newswithviews.com. He starts out by saying, Once again, leaders from the so-called church growth movement are demonstrating for us the Hegelian dialectic. That transformational Marxist process of compromise and consensus made famous by George William Frederick Hegel which seeks to rid the world of its diverse absolutes of the interest of global peace in the interest of global peace and unity. Here's the formula. Thesis, antithesis, synthesis. The Christian Post reported the following on November 23rd, titled, Christian Leaders Invite Muslims to Love God. It's probably not in there. Sorry. Christian leaders across the denominational lines responded to the unprecedented open letter signed last month by 138 Muslim leaders. See, the Muslim leaders don't have any problem with this. They're, they're in the background laughing at us. for Because they're probably... Th I mean, they have come out so many times and said, there can be no peace in the Middle East unless Islam is the number one ruler, unless the Jews are totally wiped off the planet. And once the Jews were, the other non-believers in other parts of the world would also have to be wiped out or be converted. They'll give you that choice. They know this. The Muslims know this. It's what their religion mandates at the highest levels in the Quran. They know this. But we're just, you know, the, the undiscerning Christians are just, oh, well, we can just all get along and it'll be fine. This um, open letter, which was signed by 138 Muslim representative leaders, and then I just read the list of all the, the Christian organizations that signed it, calling on the two Abrahamic faiths to love God and their neighbors together. The key word here is together. To begin with, nowhere in scripture are Christians instructed to unite with other religions and their deities to do anything. Such a plan doesn't display a love for God at all but only a disregard for him and his only begotten son. Amen. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. Well, he said, you know, in his word, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He said that, okay, in 2 Corinthians 6.14. We're not supposed to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Period. But that's what we're doing here. Talk about throwing the Bible out the window. Among other things, this dialectic process redefines love to mean tolerance. See, tolerance is going to be the theme of the one world religion. But i got news for you. When the Antichrist finally comes into power and when everything's said and done, he's not going to be tolerant of nothing. <laughs> either, you, either you bow down and worship him and you take his mark and the number of his name, or you get beheaded. That's not very tolerant. That's what's coming. I'm not saying God's not on the throne. He can't protect his remnant or his elect, okay? But, you, you know, like I said, you give the, the devil an inch, he'll take a mile every time. Among other things, this dialectic process redefines love to mean tolerance instead of obedience and calls Christianity and Islam the Abrahamic faiths, another lie from the pit of hell, as if the two groups have some moral obligation to unite under a, under a God of common ground. 
James 4.4 reads, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. That means like you're an enemy of God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. The Bible is uncompromisingly clear on this issue, both in 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17, where we are specifically commanded to not yoke ourselves with unbelievers, we kind of mentioned that, and again in Ephesians 5, 11, where we are instructed to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, which is what we're doing today. We're reproving them, we're making light, we're showing, shedding light on this evil thing. That's reproving something. This is what we're supposed to do. But the churches are so far gone. The corporate churches of America are so far gone that they're absolutely, totally part of the problem. In fact, they're almost at the apex of the problem. It's like they're, 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 the problem being like a spear and they're right on the tip of the spear. That's how far gone it is. But the Bible predicted this was going to happen. So don't let this get you down. The Bible clearly said that God would send a strong delusion, that they would believe a lie, that they might all be damned who received not what the love of the truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about here. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This is exactly what we're talking about. This is hypocrisy. This is giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Then we go further, um, Matthew 12.30. Jesus himself said, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Well, every single one of these, these organizations and these ministries I just listed are proving they're not with Jesus Christ. I mean, they proved it long before that. But it's getting more and more overt. How then can the Christians join Muslims to love God together and not be an abomination before Him? We're talking about two entirely different gods here. Not the same God with differing names. And that's the big lie hidden in this global agenda. By swapping love letters with Muslims, these Christian leaders endeavor to legitimize the illegitimate by setting aside the whole counsel of God for the sake of results and relationships. Jesus Christ is not the Son of Allah. And even to imply that, and even to imply that He is by claiming to love the same God, as the Muslims, is not only being dangerously deceitful, but it's blasphemy. If you think about that, I mean, it really is. This is dangerous, dangerous stuff. But that's what the Hegelian dialectic does to the Christian faith. It unites opposites and enemies under the guise of goodness. All at the Lord's expense, and that is and always has been the modus operandi of the church growth movement. To mingle the sheep with the goats until they are indistinguishable. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That's why the Bible, why God instructs us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in regard to just one person in the church that was participating in gross open sin, had taken his father's wife to wed. 
he said, turn such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, purge ye out therefore the old leaven, that the whole lump be not leavened. Get that person out of your congregation. Because he's going to leaven the whole lump. A little leaven, leaven the whole lump. When you make bread, it only takes a little bit of yeast to make the whole, or leaven, which is always a type of sin in the Bible. It only takes a little bit of yeast to, to permeate through the whole lump and ruin everything. This is what we're seeing. We're seeing the fruit of this now. The churches are totally, totally apostate and leavened. For the most part. The ones I mentioned, totally. And these churches are many times the head over many other churches. Hundreds, thousands sometimes. And if the head is sick, the whole body will be sick. It's going to permeate down to them too. That's why what we that's why I do what we do. Because we don't have a parent church organization over us or anything like that. We have a home Bible study. We don't have other organizations. We don't go to the government to get our right to it. We just have a home Bible study. We're not yoked up with the state of a 501c3 status. I didn't go to the government to get my license to preach or whatever, teach. And do any of that. Therefore, I have none of these restrictions these other organizations have on them. I'm not saying that because I think I'm better. I'm saying that this is a biblical model. Show me any of the apostles that did anything, you know, they did the same thing. They didn't go to the state. So if we go further, we have Christian being the thesis and Islam being the antithesis, equaling the synthesis, which is the one world religion. This is where it's all going to end up. One big, happy, apostate family. All on their way to hell. It should come as no surprise to the readers of my column that two of the reported signers of this letter who share the sentiments of Muslim leaders are none other than Rick Warren of the, of the Purpose Driven Life fame and the seeker-sensitive Bill Hybels from the Willow Creek Community Church. Two reprobate apostate devils in the flesh. On their way to hell, and their goal is to take as many people with them as they can. Because they are of their father the devil, and of his works they will do. This Christianity, uh, this article, goes on to say, quote, Peaceful relations between Muslims and Christians stand as one of the central challenges of this century, and perhaps of the whole present epoch, wrote the Christian leaders. I thought the Great Commission was our central challenge as Christians to love God and our neighbor by faithfully and obediently proclaiming His gospel, to preach the cross, to call sinners to repentance, faith for the forgiveness of sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. How we have abandoned that for the ecumenical plan B of world peace. Another quote says, If we can achieve religious peace between these two religious communities, peace in the world will clearly be easier to obtain. See, they're trying to do something only Jesus Christ can do. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the only one that's going to usher in peace. The Antichrist is going to appear to come as a man of peace initially, and to straighten out all the world's problems... And again, I believe that's probably going to be Lord Maitreya with his ascended master buddies. And uh, you can, 
I've done seven teachings on that last week that you can expound on that if, if you're not familiar with that. This is the only way it's going to happen. But they want to try to do it their own man-made way. And the Antichrist is only going to be more than happy to accommodate them. And this all plays into exactly what the Bible says is going to happen in Revelation in the end times. Now Jesus said in Matthew 10.34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. That's not a verse that's very much quoted, I bet, by old Rick Warren or uh, Pastor Hybels. See, it's the word of God that divides us, not from not just from the strange fire of other religions, but oftentimes from our own beloved family members. He goes on to say, in, in verse 35 of Matthew 10, verse 35, For I am, this is Jesus Christ talking, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, think not that I am come to send peace. Why? Because Jesus Christ knew that when you yoke up with unbelievers, they will always bring you down. You're never going to bring them up. Okay? I'm not saying a Christian can't be used to lead somebody to the Lord, but yoking up with them and participating and partaking of their sins is always going to ultimately hurt the Christian. They're never going to bring you up. They're going to bring you down. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, do Rick Warren and Bill Hybels believe the Bible or not? Well, obviously, no, they don't. You be the judge. They said, um, another quote, Christian leaders urge for an interfaith dialogue that moves beyond polite ecumenical talks between selected leaders. Instead, both, of, both leaders of both faiths should hold dialogues to build relations that will reshape the two communities to, re to generally reflect our common love for God and for one another. My, how much this bunch loves to reimagine, reinterpret, redefine, re-envision, reinvent, rethink, and reshape the world to suit them. Jeremiah 6, 16 says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. These aren't the old paths. These are new apostate paths that the church, the apostate church, is actively pursuing. You see, they're not just seeking to shake hands with Muslims on the street or at work or in a grocery store. The objective here is to hold dialogues to build relations. That's the dialectic process. I referred to earlier that leaves the participants of their divisive absolutes for a compromised collective conscience, resulting in a synthesis of spiritual beliefs that both can embrace peacefully together. That's called the one world religion. A synthesis of all religions in the world. What is the essence of that one world religion going to be? We've talked about this before in Daniel where it says that the Antichrist is going to cause craft to prosper in his hand. He is going to be adept at witchcraft. If he is going to be the head, essentially, of the one world religion, and he is operating and emanating through witchcraft, well, don't you think that's going to permeate through every single other religion on the face of the planet? Makes sense. They're kind of, like I said, they're kind of making my job easy because it's, it's pretty obvious what's going to ultimately end up happening here. 
And then he goes on to say, why do they want to hold dialogue to build relations, to reshape two communities so as to generally reflect our common love for God? Which God? Theirs or ours? See, they know. But the undiscerning Christians don't have a clue. And that's what it's really all about. Systematically merging the two faiths into one through the dialectic process. Not merely finding common ground or reflecting a common love for God, but actually creating a common God for the common good. Who stands to benefit from this? The coming Antichrist, of course. See, this guy sees it too. This has to happen in order for the Antichrist to come. There's got to be... I mean, the Catholics have already reached out to the Muslims. The Catholics have basically reached out to everybody. They've reached out to Satanists. They've reached out to Indian shamans. They've, they've had all kind of people on their platform with them. It's exactly as the Bible says. And this is a gradual process. A gradual process that's been building for over a hundred years. In spite of the seemingly benevolent agenda, Jesus Christ came to offer peace with God, not peace with Allah. 2 John 1, 9-11 says, Whosoever transgresseth, transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Are these people like Rick Warren and these, are they proving to you they're abiding in the doctrine of Christ when they don't even have the discernment to know that we shouldn't be yoking up with the Islamic people the most... The, the, is in, in my estimation, one of the, the most Hippocratic uh, religions on the planet. And, and we've made a pretty good case for that already, and there's a lot more to come. This verse goes on to say, He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Now this is an earmark of a Christian. Abiding in the doctrine of Christ. He hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine... Receive him not into your house. Oh, but hold on. Isn't that what we do when we watch TBN all day long? Or watch Sky Angel and they're bringing all these false doctrines in? Now, I'm not saying that, that you can watch a Christian program and not have a, a given particular Christian program on a given particular day be okay. The problem is, is what is that ministry's basis? What are they saying all the time? What about all these other totally avert apostate ministries that are out there preaching a false gospel or another gospel. The Bible says if anyone comes preaching another gospel, and let me tell you something, yoking up with the Islamic people, you've got to, you've got to alter your, your, um, your Christianity radically in order to embrace that. That is another gospel. And the Bible says let him be accursed if they come to you with another gospel. And that's what we're getting into today. And you turn, you, you turn this stuff on, and you let it come into your house. It says, if there, any, if, if there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. So then you become responsible. And again, that was Second John 1, 9-11. Now, if we go further with this... I went over this before um, on the first teaching I did on the uh, Ascended Masters and Lord Maitre, the first teaching. This, this wasn't the one I did last week. But I thought this was a good place to interject this again. 
And this, this was entitled, Iran Prepares People for the Messiah Miracles. Government broadcast series on the imminent appearance of the apocalyptic Islamic Mahdi. Now remember, Lord Devil Betraya says right on his website that he is the Christ, the fifth Buddha, Krishna, the Mahdi Imam, who is the who is the messianic figure that the Muslims are waiting for. Okay? So that's their version of, like, what a Christian's version of Jesus Christ, that's their version of it. And this devil betrayer guy basically is saying, he's all that wrapped up into one. The official Iranian radio has completed broadcasting a series of lengthy, a lengthy series on the imminent appearance of a messianic figure who will defeat Islam's ener- enemies and impose Islamic Shiite rule over the entire world. Even speculating on the specific dates of the so-called Mahdi will be revealed. After the coming of the 12th Imam, or the Mahdi, liberal democratic civilization will be found only in the history museums. Explain the program. Why are they saying that? Because they're supposed to slay all those that are, you know, not true to, to Islam. Infidels, unbelievers. That's why they would make a statement like that. Now, when the Antichrist does come... I don't believe it's going to go down this way because he's going to come and say, well, you know, listen guys, I know that this was the way you were taught, but, you know, we need to have peace. And ultimately, initially, it's going to be more of a peace thing after, most likely after World War III. <clears throat> contrary, uh, let's see here, contrary to the views of the Western theologians or theoreticians, who usually depict an ambiguous and dark future for mankind, Muslim experts believe human history, despite its many ups and downs, has a very auspicious fate. Explain this program. Now, these are the programs that were aired in Iran over the radio in this lengthy series regarding this coming appearing coming appearance of the uh, Imam Mahdi. This program explained that Muslims believe hopes for the realization of such a happy ending for the world are called awaiting redemption and means waiting for man's problems to be solved by the Savior at the end of time. The Messianic figure will be a direct descendant of Muhammad, according to the broadcast. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, well, this devil betray guy couldn't be because he's not this or he's not that. And, and you know what? When he comes, he's going to basically claim to be everything all rolled up into one. He's not going to put limitations on his lineage and these types of things. So if we go further, it says, in short, when he reappears, peace, justice, and security will overcome oppression and deceit, and the one world government, and the most the most perfect ever will be established. They're even saying, when he appears, we're going to have a one world government, it's going to be the most perfect ever, it's all going to be a lie. The Mahani will suddenly appear, according to the report, in Mecca, though no one can know the day. Now, well, let's read this further before I say anything more. Um... This is another quote from this article. It says, Another beautiful moment of the Savior's appearance is the coming down of the prophet Jesus. Whoa! Where did this come from? This is a Muslim. This is from Iran. This is from Iran on a lengthy series they did on the reappearance of their Messiah, the Imam Mahandi. Well, how did Jesus get involved in this? Well, let's read. Another beautiful moment of the Savior's appearance, and this is the Imam Mahandi, is the coming down of the prophet Jesus from heaven. So they're saying this Imam Mahandi and Jesus are going to come down together. 
Isn't this what we've been talking about? I guess we've done a total of seven or eight or nine teachings on this, on these ascended masters, Lord Maitreya, the whole nine yards. Says the report, the Imam Mahadi receives him, the Prophet Jesus, courteously and asks him to lead prayers. Wasn't that special? Now, let's stop here real quick. Think about this. What did we just talk about? All these Christians coming together, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, the big guys, the, the biggest organizations in America, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, the Assemblies of God, they've all come into agreement with this document, saying that we need to have this common love for our common Savior of the Abrahamic faith. Now, could you imagine how much this would be solidified if they're already together? If this guy showed up and said, well, I'm, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Imam Mahani, and here's my prophet Jesus... You talk about, they're already there waiting for this, essentially. Remember, the Bible says that when the Antichrist comes, he is going to come with all lying signs and wonders. And it says through his miracles and his signs and wonders, that's how he's going to deceive everyone. Well, this is going to be the biggest deception the world has ever known. The Bible clearly predicts it's going to happen, and I don't see a better scenario for this to go down than what we're talking about today. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I don't, I don't think it could be too far off, because this confirms what the Bible says. The Imam Mahandi receives courteously and asks this prophet Jesus to lead prayers, but the Jesus says, but Jesus says, you are more qualified than me. Isn't that what we just talked about last week? How when this devil Maitreya guy makes his appearance and makes his emergence, that the prophet Jesus is going to come, but the prophet Jesus is going to be lower. And the prophet Jesus is going to be over the Roman Catholic. He's going he's to rule from Rome. Well, isn't that where the great whore is going to rule from, most likely? See, it's just, it just really all falls together here. And then it says... We read in the book, Tazarat O Ali, the Mahadi will come with Jesus, son of Mary, accompanying him. This indicates that these two great men are, will complement one another. See, the Islamic people have in their Islamic books references to Jesus. And that when this Imam Mahani makes his appearance, he's going to come with Jesus. Talk about a one world religion setting us up for that. See, ultimately, the one world religion, a lot of people would say, well, yeah, this is going to happen and that, but it's going to have to be something that happens due to these lying signs and wonders and miracles and these types of things because it's going to take so much deception to get all the world religions on the same page. There's people that are very dogmatic in their belief systems. Jehovah Witnesses, Muslims, very, very, very dogmatic and sincere. They're sincerely wrong. Don't you think it's going to take an enormous effort and deception in order to get all the world religions on the same page? It's going to be unlike anything you've ever even witnessed. And if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. As the Bible says. So, if we go further, um, this indicates these two men, these two 
devils will complement one another. The Imam Mahandi will be the leader. This is Devil Maitreya. That's what he says he is, at least. He will be the leader, while the Prophet Jesus will act as his lieutenant. Now, hold on. We were talking last week. I was reading from Devil Maitreya's website. A, a United Nations-sponsored website called Share International. This is exactly what Share International was saying, too. And this is from... The president of Iran sanctioned this, these radio broadcasts that went out over Iran. Doesn't this make the Bible come alive? This is unbelievable. The Imam Mahdi will be the leader, while the prophet Jesus will act as his lieutenant. Maybe he's going to be the false prophet. Huh. The false prophet is going to cause everyone to worship the, the, the great beast, the Antichrist. Prophet Jesus will, will act as his lieutenant in the struggle against oppression and the establishment of justice in the world. It's always about peace, justice, all sounds great, you know. Jesus had himself given the tidings of the coming of God's last messenger and will see Muhammad's ideals materialize in the time of the Mahandi. End of quote. Straight from Islamic literature, what I just read. And it totally confirms everything we talked about last week. And then it goes on, uh, this is a picture of supposedly this Master Jesus and Mary Magdalene, who they say he's married to. Now this confirms the Da Vinci Code lie, and the Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and all the other abominations that are going on right now that they say about Jesus. There's this picture. As World Daily Net reported last month, in a greeting to the world's Christians, for the coming new year, Iranian President Mahmoud Amashadad, I don't know how to say this guy's name, I'm sorry, I'm butchering it pretty good. He said he expects both Jesus and the 12th Imam, or the Imam Mahani, to return and wipe away oppression. This is what the Iranian president says. They're, you would think they would hate Jesus, I mean, because they hate Christians, the Islamic people. But no, 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 no. This guy says that when the Imam Mahani comes back, he's going to come back with Jesus. Did you know that? <laughs> All lying signs and wonders. Jesus said, you know, if anyone says to you in the end times, you know, if there's Jesus or here's Christ or there's Christ, believe him not. And then this, um, let's see here. I wish all Christians a very happy new year, and I wish to ask them a question as well. This was the president of Iran. This is the guy that's more vilified in the world, at least in the American press right now, than just about anybody. Maybe Hugo Chavez might be a little bit more. I don't know. Probably not. He says, I wish all Christians a very happy new year, and I wish to ask them a question as well. This is the Iranian president asking you a Christian as a question. He says, according to the Iranian student news agency report cited by Ynet News, my question for the Christians is, what would Jesus do if he were present in the world today? What would he do before some of the oppressive powers of the world, who are in fact residing in Christian countries. So again, he's trying to vilify, which I'm, he's got a point, no doubt. Which powers would he revive, and which of them would he destroy? Asked the Iranian leader. He said, quote, if Jesus were present today, who would be facing him, and who would be following him? This... Iranian president's mystical preoccupation with the coming of the Mahandi is raising concerns that a nuclear-armed Islamic Republic could trigger 
the kind of global conflagration he envisions that will set the stage for the end of the world. In a videotape meeting with the Ayatollah in Tehran, the Iranian president discussed candidly a strange paranormal experience he had while addressing the United Nations in New York last September. He recounts how he found himself bathed in a light throughout the speech. But this wasn't the light directed at the podium by the UN and the television cameras. It was, as he said, a light from heaven. According to a transcript of his comments obtained and translated by Joseph Farah of World Daily Net, uh, this Iranian president wasn't the only one who noticed the unearthly light. One of his aides brought it to his attention. The Iranian president recalled being told about it by one of his delegation. And he said to the Iranian president, Quote, when you began with the words, in the name of Allah, I saw light coming. <laughs> Surrounding you and protecting you in the, to the end. You see the deception? We're just getting a little taste of the deception. We're just getting a little taste of the lying signs and wonders. The people are already lining up to buy into this hook, line, and sicker. They've already bought their tickets. They're already basically in the building, waiting for the performance to start. I mean, we just, we just read that. Did you re, just harken back to all the churches and all the seminaries and all the universities and all these people that are going along with this. Can you imagine when we start getting into the line signs and wonders and miracles part of it? How much more so that's going to confirm things to them? That's why Jesus warned, he said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. All you need is the word of God. You don't need signs and wonders. Now, I'm not saying God can't do signs and wonders, but they need to line up specifically with the Bible. Okay, with the Word of God, consistently. So the Iranian president agreed that he sensed the same thing. This is when he was bathed in this light of protection. He sees his main mission, as he recounted in a November 16th speech in Tehran, as to, quote, pave the path for the glorious reappearance of the Imam Mahandi. May Allah hasten his appearance. End of quote. He's coming back with the Master Jesus. Just remember, this false Jesus. According to the Shiites, the 12th Imam disappeared as a child in the year 941. When he returns, they believe he will reign on earth for seven years. <laughs> That's going to line up with the Bible pretty good. Seven year tribulation? It, I'm, I mean, this, this is amazing. The confirmation we're getting here. He'll, he will reign on earth for seven years before bringing about final judgment and the end of the world. Well, I think Jesus Christ is going to take care of that, not this devil. The Iranian president is urging Iranians to prepare for the coming of the Mahdi by turning the country into a mighty and advanced Islamic society and by avoiding the corruption and the excesses of the West. All Iran is, in, is, in, is buzzing about the Mahdi, the 12th Imam, and the role Iran and the Iranian president are playing in his anticipated return. They even have a new Messiah hotline. No lie, I'm not making this up. There are news agencies especially devoted to the latest developments. Quote, people are anxious to know when and how he, this 12th Imam, will arise, and what they must do to receive this worldwide salvation. Oh, I can tell you, it's called take the mark of the beast, bow down to the image of the beast, take his number... That's how you're going to receive this worldwide. Your salvation is going to be the lake of fire, though. It's not much of a salvation. 
who said this? Last quote I just read. The Al Larry, a cleric at the Bright Bright Futures Institute of Iran's religious center of Om. Now that's a really ironic name. The Bright Futures Institute. All they've got is the lake of hell to look forward to. The lake of fire. Lake of hell. So they got. Which is really sad. And I pray to God that that doesn't happen because the Bible says that, you know, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked and that it's His will that not one would perish but that all would come to repentance. But they're choosing their ways. They're choosing their delusions. He goes on to say, the timing is not clear but the conditions are more specific. He adds, there is a saying, when the students are ready, the teacher will come. And that's exactly what Share International is saying about Devil Maitreya's appearance. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and end this part, portion of the teaching, and we'll go to part two next.